The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 270th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And yes, I'm back. Did y'all miss me? I've been doing the podcast for almost four years, and this is the first time I took a full week off. And boy, did I hear from some of you wondering where in the world last week's episode went. So sorry to have gone on a little hiatus, but I am back in the full swing of things. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the haunted castles of Denmark. I don't think we've done a location in Denmark yet. I don't recall doing one. I could be wrong. We're going to look at three of these castles, and all of them have various hauntings going on within their walls. Or at least that's what employees and guests claim. Before we get into that, we have a whole bunch of you to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. We want to welcome Jesse, Lauren, Mary or Mari spells her name with an I, Spates, Shamika, Helen, Candy with an I, Rita or Retta, Lisa, Miranda, Christina with a C-H, Brandy with a Y, Gary, Jessica, Shannon, Chloe, Casey, Wendy, Natalie, Lindsay, Caleb, Zachary, Daniel, Michael, Christy with a K, Nikki with one K, Paula, Jeremy, Kevin, Tessa, and Teddy with an IE. Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you. Also want to send out some congratulations to our two winners in our Cemetery Bingo, which we just did this last Saturday on August 11th, 2018. If you missed out on that, we will be doing another one probably in October to celebrate, get us all ramped up for Halloween. Sounds like a good idea to me. We'll make up some new cards and get you all out doing this once again. You all seem to have a really good time with it. We had two participants manage to get 19 of their squares filled in. So good job to Melissa Nelson and Jana Noli Fields. 
And since there were just two winners, I thought, what the heck, I'm going to send them both a t-shirt. So both of those ladies are going to be getting t-shirts in the mail. Also put up a video for those of you who are giving at the $2 and above level featuring Bell Fountain Cemetery in St. Louis, Missouri. This was a 20-minute video. It's the longest one I've made, and it features a ton of great monuments there. I think this is the 16th video that I've made so far for those of you who are giving at the $2 and above level. If you would like to get access to those videos, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Would love to have you join us as an executive producer and also join us in the HGB Losers Club. And now, this moment, Naughty. One of the most incredible tombs ever made by man can be found in China. This is a large underground mausoleum that is mostly unopened. It was built for Ying Zhang, who had ascended the throne at the age of 13. He ruled over the powerful state of Qin and proved to be a bold and fearless leader. He managed to unify China, and this made him the first emperor of China. He commissioned the building of the Great Wall, roads, and many scientific breakthroughs happened under his rule. This all seems to have gone to his head, and he renamed himself Qin Shi Huang, loosely the Son of Heaven. He declared himself a god and became obsessed with immortality. He believed he would one day rule from the center of the universe. He ordered his alchemists to find a formula that would allow him to never die. One such remedy was thought to be mercury, and Huang would drink it on a regular basis. Nothing seemed to work, so he focused on building the greatest tomb. The Grand Mausoleum was designed to resemble the capital of Qin, and it was a city unto itself. 700,000 laborers worked on the tomb and took 38 years to complete, and measures 38 square miles. The emperor had died before the construction was finished, so he did not get to see just how massive his final resting place was, complete with an army of terracotta soldiers. The underground mausoleum was discovered in 1974 by local farmers. Excavations began, and it is estimated that the tomb holds more than 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots with 520 horses, and 150 cavalry horses, all of which were painted and represented a real person. What remains unseen is believed to be even more mind-blowing. Records indicate that in the tomb were palaces and scenic towers, priceless artifacts, and a vast ceiling inlaid with the stars and constellations of the heavens. Apparently, two rivers of mercury flowed through the tomb as well. There are claims of treasures that have been booby-trapped and curses for those disturbing the mausoleum. In 2012, a massive imperial palace was found inside, with an earthen pyramid inside of it, believed to be where the emperor's body is laid to rest. The necropolis of first emperor Qin Shi Huang has gone on to become one of the most important archaeological discoveries ever made, with the terracotta soldiers making tours around the world. But building such a massive grave and then hiding it away from the world for centuries? Certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, this month in history. In 
month of August, on the 23rd in 1927, Italian immigrants Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti were electrocuted in Massachusetts, having been convicted of murder without evidence. The case against them claimed that the two men had killed a guard and a paymaster while robbing a shoe factory. There was no evidence connecting either man to the crime, and eventually another man admitted committing that crime with an organized criminal gang. The men had radical political views, and many believed the jury was prejudiced against them for this reason. They also were Italian, which seemed to be another mark against them. As they sat on death row for the seven years after their convictions, worldwide protests grew. The matter became the center of one of the largest causes celeb in modern history, and riots broke out in major cities from Chicago to New York to Tokyo to Auckland to Johannesburg. On the 50th anniversary of the executions, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis issued a proclamation that declared Sacco and Vanzetti had been unfairly convicted and that any disgrace should be forever removed from their names. Denmark is a land that has had people living on it since the last Ice Age. This gives it an ancient history, and while it's not considered a powerful nation today, it once ruled much of Europe with an iron fist. This history contains stories of wars, revolutions, political intrigue, religious conflict, Vikings, and one of the oldest monarchies. The Danes are believed to have been in Denmark since 500 AD. The Middle Ages were a great time of power for the Danes, and they ruled over England and united with Sweden and Norway. The monarchy of Denmark lasted for centuries, and many of these nobles made castles their homes. Vorgard Castle is one of the most well-preserved castles dating back to the Renaissance, and today is home to a beautiful art collection. The castle also houses a spirit. Kronberg Castle was made famous by Hamlet and has a few ghosts of its own. Dragsholm Castle has been converted into a luxury hotel with a golf course, but it has more than just a reputation for being a nice place to get away to on a holiday. Dragsholm is reputedly the most haunted castle in Denmark. Join me as I share the history and hauntings of the castles of Denmark. Obviously, these names are in Danish, and I'm a little pronunciation challenged occasionally, so hopefully I'm saying these castle names right. I was not able to find a pronunciation on the internet. For those of you who are Danish, forgive me if I butcher your language. Vorgod Castle is on the North Jutland Peninsula, which became an island in 1825 when a storm connected the North Sea and the fjord Limfjorden. The castle is about 6 miles or 10 kilometers from the small town of Drollingland. Vorgard is considered one of the country's best-preserved Renaissance castles, but historians are unsure of when it was built. Recorded history of Vorgard goes back to 1481. The castle was bought around 1510 by the Bishop of Borglum, it was taken by Skipper Clement's army of peasants and confiscated by the crown after the Reformation in 1536. In 1578, King Frederick II ceded the property to Karen Crabbe in exchange for Nygaard, an estate located between Vigle and Kolding. Crabbe's daughter, Ingborg Skeel, took over the property from her mother and carried out an expansion and restoration in 1588. And what a name she had, huh? In 1872, Vorgard was purchased by Peter Bronham Scavenius, who was a politician and landowner. He managed to get back much of the original land, and by the time of his death in 1914, the estate covered 4,800 acres, making it one of the largest properties in Denmark at the time. Now, Scavenius' son, Eric, became the next owner after his father passed away. He was the Danish prime minister during World War II and owned Vorgard from 1914 to 1945. 
1955, the castle was bought by Ejnar Oberbeck Clausen, a Dane who became a count through marriage. His wife, Marie Henriette Chenut Lafitte, was the daughter of Jules Emily Pian, one of the great French surgeons of the 19th century. Oberbeck Clausen returned to his native Denmark after his wife was killed in an air raid and he bought the castle. He brought 12 train cars of art with him back to Denmark and began the restoration of the castle. After his death in 1963, the castle and collections were passed to a foundation and open to the public. Today, the castle continues to house a unique and comprehensive collection of European art that includes works by Goya, Rubens, and Raphael, furniture belonging to both Louis XIV and Louis XVI, carpets, jewelry, and porcelain. The castle has a Roman Catholic chapel, which was used by the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Vorgard is a two-winged L-shaped castle built in the Renaissance style out of red brick, and it is absolutely magnificent. I encourage you guys to Google it to see some pictures. There's a couple of videos out there on YouTube so you can get an aerial view of it. It's just gorgeous. The east wing is flanked by two octagonal corner towers with a gateway and a sandstone portal. The large park around the castle was laid out in 1768. In 1955, it was redesigned in the French style. Buildings on the grounds include a half-timbered building, which in the 18th and 19th century was used by Vord Burke, a manor court where people who had committed local misdemeanors and petty crimes would be tried. The castle has been considered haunted ever since the early 1600s. One reason there are hauntings going on here could be because of the castle's infamous dungeon that had no light, ventilation, or room for a grown man to sit or stand. No one is sure how many people lost their lives within its walls, but one can imagine that the torture that happened here would lead to some bad energy. Many of the darker stories about Vorgard Castle have to do with one of the owners, Ingborg Skeel. She was a merciless noblewoman who had the architect working on the rebuild of the castle killed. Some claim that she pushed the man herself into the moat around the castle so she wouldn't have to pay him. She cut off the fingers of peasant children who stole grain from her fields as well. Ingborg was considered cruel and greedy, and she seems to be holding on to the castle even after her death. Priests have been called in for decades after her death to perform exorcisms. Legends claim that Skeel was a witch and had a pact with the devil, and that is why she remains. Now, I'm not exactly sure why she made a pact with the devil, what she got out of it, if it was a way for her to hold on to the castle, I don't know. They don't really give a reason why she would make a pact with the devil. But as we know, usually when people are pointing their fingers at somebody and calling them a witch, they weren't an actual literal witch who was casting spells. It could just be that she was such a cruel woman that they thought she was a witch because they had such a negative connotation at that time. Her apparition has been seen all around the castle. She blows out candles and gets annoyed when the door to a corridor on the upper floor of the east wing is closed. So I don't know if that was a room that she liked in particular and so she doesn't like it being closed off. Most employees seem happy to have the ghosts there even though she was cruel in life. I guess she's not quite as cruel in death. One employee, Ole Sinkback, said, I'm happy for her to be here. We get a lot of visitors hoping to see her. He had an experience with her. One night about a year ago, after he had neglected to turn off the lights in a corridor next to the banquet hall, he noticed a door shut that shouldn't have been. He attributes this to Skeel, who was giving him a sign that he needed to turn the light off there. There's another legend attached to the manor house. This one is about a wild boar hide that hangs within it, 
and it's believed the boar was killed back in the 1700s at some point. This legend claims that if the hide is ever removed, the castle will burn down. I don't know what the connection is to the boar and the castle and it bursting into flames, but that's what the legend claims. People also claim that the dungeons have listening channels built into the walls through which they can hear prisoners groaning. And there is an infamous blood spot on the floor of the Northeast Tower. People have tried to remove the spot many, many times. They've tried in all different ways, scrubbing it out, trying to varnish it, but it always returns within a few days. The tower room also has knocking sounds that are inexplicable. So that was Vorgard Castle. Next, we have Kronborg Castle. Kronborg is a castle found on the extreme northeastern tip of the island of Zealand. This Renaissance castle became famous when William Shakespeare used it as inspiration for the castle Elsinore in his play Hamlet. It is believed that Shakespeare never visited Kronborg, but that he'd heard it described, and that's where he got the idea to use it as inspiration for his castle in Hamlet. The castle was built by King Eric VII in the 1420s. King Frederick II rebuilt the castle from 1574 to 1585. The main architects at that time were the Flemings, Hans Hendrik von Passion and Antonis von Orbergen. The sculpture work was done by Gert von Groningen. In 1629, a fire destroyed much of the castle, but King Christian IV subsequently had it rebuilt. The Swedes attacked in 1658 and looted all of its treasures. And in 1785, the castle ceased to be a royal residence and was converted into barracks for the army, and they stayed until 1923. That's a long run. It was then renovated and opened to the public, and it was added to UNESCO's World Heritage Sites in 2000. Employees at the site claim that the place is haunted. A new restaurant was built some time ago that is called Kronverket, and one of the staff, Jeanette Peterson, claimed, windows and doors fly open, stacks of paper disappear and reappear elsewhere, and tables set themselves. Sounds like not too bad of a ghost or two if they're setting the tables for them. Do they do the dishes too? Many other employees have reported experiencing strange things. They've seen two inexplicable gray shadows waft by and seen the ghost of an old man in the kitchen. Employees say the spirits seem to be good-natured. A transparent entity of a soldier has been seen walking through the walls. Shadows have been seen in the windows. Screams have been heard and the disembodied voices of soldiers and horses have been heard. Local paranormal teams claim feelings of being watched, hearing disembodied footsteps, batteries draining, and capturing EVPs. So apparently you can do some overnights here at Cronberg Castle. Ghost Hunters International investigated the site. I'm not sure what year. One of the teams, Barry and Chris, heard noises and footsteps and said that they saw a shadow in the Great Hall. Another team claimed to get a bad feeling. Perhaps the most compelling evidence was of the multimeter experiment set up by Paul and Susan in the basement. The flashlight moves slightly, and the EMF reader spikes to a 0.6, and the temperature gauge goes up by several degrees, which to me was a little unusual because usually if you have ghosts around, the temperature goes down. But we have heard occasionally that there have been hot spots in places on various episodes that we've done as well. So I just never know. It seems like ghosts seem to cause some kind of temperature fluctuation, whether it's a burst of energy or them drawing energy. I'm not sure if that's what causes it. Now, this is not huge evidence to me. A spike to 0.6 isn't very big. 
temperature changing a few degrees isn't a big deal and a flashlight moving, I mean, the floor could be a little uneven. But when you put all three of those things together happening at the same time, it does make you wonder just a little bit. And then, of course, we have the employees who have made some of their claims. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And finally, we have Dragsholm Castle. Dragsholm Castle is reportedly the most haunted castle in Denmark. This castle is located on the island of Zealand and was built as a palace in 1215 for Peter Sunnison, Bishop of Roskilde. The castle was heavily fortified through the years and for this reason was a favorite for nobles to use as a living quarters. Dragsholm was the only castle to survive Denmark's civil war that was waged between 1534 and 1536. And this was known as the Count's Feud because it was waged by Count Christopher, who supported the Catholic King Christian II until the election of Christian III deposed him. The castle passed into the hands of King Christian III after the Protestant Reformation. So at that time, you have a switching over from the Catholic faith to the Protestant. The castle would no longer be home for nobles, but rather a prison for them. This would be a dark period, and as Lutheranism spread, Catholicism was outlawed and bishops were imprisoned at the castle. Among the prisoners were a number of rather famous inmates, such as Joachim Renaud, who was the last Catholic bishop of Roskilde, and James Hepburn, 4th Earl of Bothwell and 3rd husband to Mary, Queen of Scots. The prisoners were assigned to cells custom-built to fit their crimes, actions, and nature of their behavior toward the king. I was not able to find any descriptions of what those cells looked like, but since they were built based on the crimes, one has to believe that there were some kind of torture-type implements that were added to these to make them suffer according to whatever crime they had committed. At least that's my best guess, and well, our brains can go in all kinds of places when it comes to dungeons and prisons and torture, and we've heard just about everything on this podcast about what would be done in these various places. When the armies of Charles X, Gustav of Sweden, invaded Zealand, Dragsholm's defenders attempted to blow it up. I guess they figured, if we can't have it, neither can you. The castle lay in ruins until King Christian V passed the castle on to Heinrich Müller, a grocer. Apparently, he owed the man money, and this was to cover his debt. So, I don't know if he just bought a lot of groceries, and he's like, hey, I've got a castle here. Thanks for the uh, beer and spuds? I don't know. The good news is that Muller, when he got the castle, he decided to restore it, and he did just that. In 1694, nobleman Frederick Christian Adler bought Dragsholm and rebuilt it as a Baroque castle. 
The Adler family held on to it until 1932 when the family died off. They had a long run not only as a family, but also in holding on to this property. Basically, they had it from 1700 to the 1930s. Denmark's Central Land Board became the owner of Dragsholm Castle at that time. In 1939, the Central Land Board sold Dragsholm Castle to J.F. Bodger, but only included the land belonging to the main estate. The Bodger family preserved the Baroque style of the castle, but extensively restored and modernized the interior. There are reputedly nearly 100 ghosts living within the castle. Now, I don't know who did all the counting and how they differentiated each of the ghosts, but that is the claim that's out there. Five of them are fairly well known. We have the Earl of Bothwell, the Mad Squire, the White Lady or Lady in White, the Bishop, and the Grey Lady. The Earl of Bothwell was Mary, Queen of Scots' third husband, James Hepburn, who I mentioned earlier. Hepburn always seemed to be in trouble, and he ended up fleeing for his life from Scotland in 1567. A storm forced his ship to land in Norway, which was ruled by Denmark at the time, and he was arrested for not having the correct identification papers. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that Hepburn had run off with his former fiancé's dowry, and it was thought he had murdered Queen Mary's second husband. King Frederick II of Denmark imprisoned him at Dragsholm, and reportedly he was barely given enough food and water to keep him alive. He was tied to a pillar and eventually went mad and died in 1576, or 1578. I saw both of those dates. His spirit has haunted the castle ever since, and visitors claim to see him riding into the courtyard of the castle in his carriage being pulled by horses. The sound of horses' hooves have been heard in the cobbled yard as well. Our next spirit is known as the Mad Squire. His real name was Edgler Brockenhus, and he was part of the noble Danish Brockenhus family. The family began in Denmark with Olaf Brackenhus, who fought in the wars with Sweden and Norway, and expanded into a Norwegian branch. Edgler was chained in the dungeon and left to die, and guests claimed to hear his groans float up the stairs. How they know it's him, I'm not sure, because there was a lot of people who were left down in those dungeons. Our Lady in White makes an appearance at Drag's home. It is believed that in life she was Selina Bovels, a daughter of the Bovels family of nobles. As is the case so many times, she fell in love with a man her family did not approve of. He was a commoner, and I'm sure you could already guess, she ended up pregnant. Her father was enraged and locked her in the dungeon where she died. Before we relegate this story to legend, it is interesting to note that workmen were repairing the plumbing at Drag's home in the 1930s, and they discovered a skeleton wearing a white dress inside one of the walls. So it would seem that maybe she actually did exist and that this actually did happen to her. And even if it was not this particular woman, one can imagine Our Lady in White probably belongs to this skeleton in a white dress. Witnesses claim to have seen a woman wearing white walking around the castle at night and that she occasionally moans in sorrow because she's looking for her lost love. Joachim Renau was the last Catholic bishop of Roskilde, and he was supposedly imprisoned in Dragsholm Castle in 1536. He did not die here, but some claim that they've heard his moans in the tower and the sound of Catholic chanting, and I think that's why they believe it's the Catholic bishop because of those chants. But again, we don't have any actual proof that it is him, and he didn't die there, so it would be interesting that he came back to a place where he'd been imprisoned, but not where he had died. The Grey Lady was a woman who was a servant at Drag's home. She came to work one day in agony because of a toothache. The master of the castle gave her a poultice that cured it, but she eventually died. 
Her spirit is said to remain here because she was so grateful for the relief she got from her toothache. She is seen in spirit form as a gray mass or full-bodied apparition wandering the halls of the castle, and she's said to perform good deeds for visitors. These castles in Denmark are reminders of a long history of nobility. The spirits are a supernatural reminder. Are these castles haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I enjoyed taking this trip over to Denmark. We'll definitely have to find some more haunted locations there to visit in the future. And it's this country I have not been to, and I would love to visit that whole area up there. I know that there are uh, lots of tours that go into Copenhagen, so definitely on my bucket list. I want to encourage you all to check out the website at historygoesbump.com. And if you would like to send me some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Got an email from Lori who had said that she just discovered the podcast and let us know that she was born on Halloween. So how lucky is she? And she says she has the birth certificate to prove the date. She said, when the religious freak started in on how evil Halloween is, I would simply say that it's my birthday. So I always celebrate. That usually shuts them up. I always thought of my birthday as everyone celebrating it. They just do not know it. It's a wonderful idea that on my birthday, all the kids get free candy. Hey, it works for me. Then she said she hasn't had any ghostly experiences, but then she shared this story, which makes me wonder a little bit. She was holding a 1917 penny, and immediately she saw an ivory silken glove cover her hand. She looked up, and she was standing in a past time period, looking in a shop window. I was taking my change to get it washed so my gloves would not get dirty. I did have the ability to know something bad was about to happen. Yes, I could see it playing out in my mind's eye. When I got pregnant with my son, those faded. When my son became an adult, I asked him if he had any experiences, and he said he did. I explained to him how to handle those feelings. So I don't know, that isn't really a ghostly experience, but it certainly is something paranormal and very unusual. Thank you for sharing that, Lori, and I'm so glad that you are enjoying the podcast. I heard from Casey over on the website. This is such an educational and enlightening show. You ladies do a great job. I found this on Spotify and binge the episodes all the time. I've been to several of these locations and agree with you. I'm skeptical until proven otherwise. Keep up the great work. Amazing podcast. Thank you so much, Casey. And I'm glad you found us on Spotify. We have more people finding us there all the time. And then I heard from Ariel, which makes me want to sing Kiss the Girl. Uh, She found our podcast through a friend of hers at work. I just love it when people hear about us from other work friends. I've been doing nothing but listening to your show since I found it. I love it. Keep up the good work. Then she made a suggestion for a place for us to check out. And she said that she would love to be a part of the Spooktacular crew once she gets some money together. Want to make sure that y'all know the Spooktacular crew doesn't cost a dime. Anybody can join us there. It's the Losers Club for the executive producers that isn't open to everybody. But we'd love to have you join us in the Spooktacular crew. Have some Apple podcast reviews to share. The first one is from Australia, Emma Kate 024, five stars, 1010, awesome podcast. Updating my review as I finally come up to date with listening. Diane, you carry the podcast so fluently and you make listening fun. You have a laugh that I can imagine you throwing your head back for, and it really does help keep the podcast in a conversational manner rather than scripted. It's very sad to hear the news. I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. However, I was so surprised at how well you still continue to perfectly tell our spooky history. I'm so happy you are continuing HGB and you've got a listener for as long as HGB exists. Keep up the amazing work, Diane. Well, thank you, Emma. And I do plan to keep the show going until I become a ghost myself. 
and then it'll keep going even after that. Heard from Napa Cal Girls. Love history goes bump. Five stars. My 12-year-old daughter and I have recently found your podcast and we can't stop listening. I love the blend of history and creepy. This podcast is right up my alley and it's something that I can share with my daughter who's also interested in history as well as the creepy side of things. We are big fans of anything history and haunted related. So love, love, love. History goes bump. The host voice is soothing and I feel like we're listening to a friend tell us stories. No complaints at all. 10 stars all the way. Thanks for making our car rides fun. Well, thank you girls for that. And Lauren 420, love five stars. I'm still back in the year 2015. I'll be in 2016 by tomorrow, but I absolutely love this podcast. Binging it keeps me sane throughout my super stressful work days. I love the mix of history, spookiness, and great personalities from the hosts. Glad I have so many episodes left before I catch up to present day and thrilled that Diane is still putting out episodes so consistently. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lauren. I appreciate that. If you haven't given us a review, please think about doing that over at iTunes. I want to thank you all for joining me for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the cemetery, Helen Jones, Sari Sarath, and Joan Largy and her daughter, Emily. All three of you are going to be getting chest tombs. April Barber has increased her support. So we're going to give you a nicer garden crypt, April. And we also want to thank Susan Johnson and Stacy Skelton for their one-time donations. Those are much appreciated. That means you ladies get to hang out in the cemetery a little bit. Sent you some bonus material as well. If you really would love to be buried for a little bit, we can do that. Mort has no problem with burying people for a short time and then digging them back up. It gives them something to do and keeps them out of trouble. Let me get my shovel. <laughs> Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Thank you.